Just thinking as I'm preparing for what we're going to read here, and hopefully you'll see this thread as we, we read it through, how incredible we are like as people, as human beings. Thinking of just how God's created us, what we're made of, the way that we're made, and how incredibly intricate our human bodies are. We're going to see, as we read in a minute, just how this passage leads us to think about blood and the blood of an animal, the blood of an animal sacrifice, and we're going to follow that thread all the way through the Bible, but just thinking about blood for a little bit and thinking about how incredible that is, um, I did a little bit of Orion and did some research on the internet, and also Ella's here so she can verify everything that I say is absolutely accurately true. So here's a few things for you about blood. The average human being which most of us are, unfortunately, um, has between five and a half and four and a half litres of blood, which isn't unremarkable at all, but here, something that is. Uh, There are around 1.2 trillion red blood cells in one litre of blood. 1.2 trillion, isn't that incredible? The human body manufactures 17 million red blood cells per second, and if the body is under stress, so if we're, we have a disease that we're fighting against or we get a wound or something like that, that number multiplies by 10 almost and we make somewhere near 120 million red blood, new red blood cells per second. Incredible. Love this one. We have on average 60,000 miles of blood vessels running through our bodies. That's like unbelievable. So I checked another website. And apparently it's true. Um, Humans can have, we know this, artificial limbs, artificial hearts, but there is no replacement for human blood. Like we can have blood transfusions and share our blood around, but there's no way of reinventing and creating blood. It's it's a one-off kind of thing. I'm a doman, Ella. Okay. (laughs) And what about this one? It only takes 20 to 60 seconds for one drop of blood to travel from our heart all the way through our body and then back to the heart again. Blood is the most precious commodity on earth. It literally gives us life, doesn't it? Without it, we perish. And that is the message that the Bible speaks to us throughout, but at a much deeper level than we know. Blood is the most precious commodity on earth. It gives us life. And the Bible speaks that message to us all the way through. My hope is that we'll see that as we work through this next chapter together. Let me read Exodus 24. I'm going to read it all 18 verses and then I'll pray. The covenant confirmed. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. 
And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And he took the book of covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone, which the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is another interesting chapter, folks. We need to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all the truths that we've seen and sung and heard and prayed already this afternoon. Thank you for for these words that we've just read. Thank you that amongst all of the detail and maybe some of the confusion as we read it, thank you that we can be confident that in amongst it all, you are speaking to us and you want to change us. We believe your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, we claim and hold on to that promise that you will, by the power of your spirit, through your word, change us this afternoon. We pray and we ask that you would change us to be more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, right from the start of this incredible book of Exodus, we've seen that the greatest need for humanity is to be in the presence of God. That's the movement all the way through scripture, right from Genesis chapter one, all the way through to Revelation. We see that God has created us, created humanity to dwell in his presence. He's created us to enter his rest. And even though this is a, another interesting chapter with maybe lots of what we think are cursory minor details, what we see in amongst all of that in chapter 24 is a wonderful picture of how we get there, of how we get into the presence of God. Well, here's the first thing to see our access into the presence of God isn't a given. Our access into the presence of God is not a given. In fact, Coming into the presence of God is a terrifying thought. If you just consider the end of the chapter that we just read there and all that God's people see as they look at the mountain, literally the mountain they see covered in fire. And didn't we see a few chapters ago, God warning his people as they approach Mount Sinai, don't touch it. Remember, God has drawn his people out of Egypt brought them to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God's presence is dwelling and God says he wants to be with them, but don't come too close. Don't touch the mountain because if you do, if you come into my presence, then you will perish. 
sinful sinners can't dwell with a holy God. And so God in love tells them to stay back. God isn't being kind of trying to keep himself to himself just for selfish reasons here. He's telling them to stay away from his presence because he loves them. He doesn't want them to be penned up as they come and draw into his holy presence. God is so honourable that we in our sinfulness cannot come near. We don't really need to stretch our minds to see what that looks like and why that is true. Think of the queen over this bank holiday. Think of what an honourable lady she is. And she is, we love the queen, don't we? We all partied for her yesterday. She is a woman who has led with honour and respect and with integrity. And so we celebrated that. Anyone see the party last night, Buckingham Palace, all of the famous people, Brian May, Shirley Bassey, all the greats being wheeled. No, no Shirley Bassey, sorry. If you're going to go back and watch it because you think Shirley Bassey's on it, she's not on there, sorry. Who was it at the end? Diana Ross. Sorry, Shirley. Diana Ross, still a great. They all come out, all world dignitaries coming in and saying wonderful things about our queen. She is a woman of honour. And we, we show our respect to her. We, we show kind of how much we honour her in the way that we celebrated her. Here is a woman who has ruled and reigned for 70 years and made mistakes along the way. And is, like you and I, inherently a sinner. And so we have God who is eternal, who has ruled and reigned for all eternity, who has never made any mistakes, who is not inherently sinful, quite the opposite. He is inherently righteous. And so we should give him the honour and respect that he deserves. He is a holy God. He is infinitely honourable and respectful. That's why our access into the presence of God is not a given. That's the first thing we see if you pop that one on Karis. His infinite holiness and eternal righteousness won't be tainted by our sin. And so God has cut us out of his presence. And just think what that means for a minute. Everything that God is, everything that is found in his presence, really everything that we crave as human beings, whether we're Christians or not, rest, peace, love, value, worth, dignity, all of those things that we only find in their purest sense in the presence of God all of these things remain beyond our reach for as long as he remains holy and we remain sinful our access into the presence of God is not a given God is a God of love God is a God of mercy yes he is a God of justice and he is a holy God but he loves those that he has created and he has made a way for us to be brought into his presence See, the second thing we see is there is a promise. There is a promise of his presence. See, the title I read out for chapter 24, the covenant confirmed. The covenant is another word for for a deep promise, a sacred relationship. And we've seen over the last couple of chapters, haven't we, that God is making a covenant with his people. God is saying to Israel, I'm going to be your God. You're You're going to be my people I'm going to promise, we saw this in chapter 23, I'm going to promise to bring you into the promised land. You're going to enter in, into Canaan. You're going to enter into this land that I've set apart for you. You're going to come into this physical place of rest and flourishing and peace. 
And remember, that is just a picture for the eternal realities that God is preparing for his people. Canaan was a physical place that God was bringing his people into. But this is all just alluding to to the glorious eternal rest that he is drawing his people into. He says, that is the promise I'm making with you if you obey my commands. And so they make this covenant in chapter 24. But in order for any covenant to be made, it needs to be confirmed. Think about the covenant of marriage. Thinking about Matty and Rebecca who got married last week. Think about the promises that they made. They don't just kind of turn up here next Sunday and, you know, just say that they're married without any occasion. You can't just say I'm married, put a ring on your finger, it's done. No, there is a promise. There is a covenant that is made. There are things that they have to do. Things that they have to say in order for that covenant to be confirmed. In the last couple of chapters, we've seen Moses set out the terms of the covenant. All of these laws, remember we talked last week that the Ten Commandments is is the kind of foundational ethical values that we see for all of humanity, for all of history in any time, in any culture, in any place. And then the book of covenant that follows is Moses putting flesh on the bones, showing them specifically what it looks like in their context, in their culture. He's setting out for them the terms of the covenant. And here in chapter 24, we see how the covenant is sealed. Verse 3, Moses reads out what he says are the words, what he means by the words of the Ten Commandments. And then he reads out the rules. The rules are the book of covenants, the flesh on the bones. He reads both of those things out to God's people. And then Moses offers a sacrifice. We'll get to that in a moment. But then when we get to verse 7, he reads the book of covenant again. Why does he read it twice? Well, think of a wedding. Think again of how Matty and Rebecca got married last week. Right at the start of the ceremony, right at the start of any wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom declare their intentions. So when Elizabeth and I were married, I had to say in front of everyone, or no, the, the minister would say to me, will you take Elizabeth to be your lawful wedded wife? And I'd say, I, I will, or I do. But actually, the covenant isn't made until we said our vows. That's actually the only legal part of the ceremony. That's what the registrar needs to hear. The person who's signing off the document and saying, yes, this covenant has been made. It isn't made until we say our vows together. So until the part where where we say to each other, I will, and then everything that follows onto that, I can't remember off by heart. But at the start, we have a declaration of an intention. And then further along, we have the vows. The making of the covenant, the sealing of the covenant. And it's the same in this covenant here, this promise that God is making with his people. First, Israel declare their intention to obey God's commandment. And in verse three, they say, yeah, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will, too, we will do. And then in verse seven, as it is read out again, they make their vow to keep it. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. That's a bold response. Like they've heard the Ten Commandments and, you know, Ryan and Andy walked us through really well the weight of those commandments on us. They've heard the Book of Covenants, all of these detailed laws that Moses has given to them. They've heard the entirety of the law and they vow to keep it. Like they're really bold, aren't they? Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to obey it. We're going to obey your commandments. Like I can only think that these are really sunny side up people. They're really optimistic. They know that The law of God demanded perfect obedience. And they know that they're sinners. No one would be able to keep all of the law perfectly. 
And God knows that as well. So knowing that they will fail, here's where we get to our third point. We see that the promise of his presence is sealed in blood. See, the promises that God makes to bring his people into his presence, these aren't just glib things that God is promising here. The promise to bring his people into his presence, into the rest that we were created for. This is a weighty promise. It's a weighty covenant that God is making with his people. And so he seals it with the most precious commodity on earth. Blood. After reading the vows, Moses makes sacrifices. And in verse 4 to 6, he sprinkles the blood of the animals that have been sacrificed as a seal of the covenants. And just read verses 4, 5, and 6 for us again. Moses writes down all the words of the Lord, and then he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against against the altar. And Moses doesn't hang around here. In verse four, it says he rises early in the morning. God has told him to go and build an altar, go and sort things out. And that is the first thing that Moses does. As soon as he gets up, he goes and does it straight away. And this is a slight aside, but it's really important for us to see it. When we hear God's word calls into obedience, we need to just get on and do it. God says to Moses, go on and build this altar. And the first thing he does in the morning is goes and does it. When we know that God is calling us into obedience and think of how we talked about what that looks like over the last few weeks. God has clearly given us ways to live. Remember, Jesus boils it down. Love God, love your neighbor. We know there's so many places in scripture where we know God is speaking to us and saying, walk in this way, don't walk in that way. And when we come to those points in scripture or when we know God by his spirit leading us in paths of obedience, you don't need to kind of open up God's word again and study it again and try and figure out what's he really meaning here. We don't need to get commentaries off the shelf. We don't need to put a fleece out. We don't need to get second opinions. We don't need to mull it over. We just need to get up and do it. If God tells you to put a certain sin to death, don't hang around. Just do it. If God tells you to love your neighbor, don't hang around. Just do it. We hear God's word calling us clearly in some direction. Just get on and do it. Don't delay. For those who aren't Christians, there is a clear call to walk in obedience to the Lord. To follow him. To put their sin away. To confess him as their Lord and their saviour. They shouldn't wait around. They shouldn't test that word. You need to hear his voice, listen to his promises, believe and follow. And so Moses does what he is told. He sets about building an altar. There is no coming into the presence of God without a sacrifice. We can't meet God with us covered in our unrighteousness, so a sacrifice needs to be made. And the altar that Moses makes, we see in those verses, it's made for two types of offering. There's a burnt offering. So the ox was, was put on the altar and the flames would engulf it. It would be obviously surrounded in fire. The flames would engulf it. And they would allow it to burn until there was literally nothing left. Just ash. 
So there's a burnt offering where the animal is completely burnt and that offering was representative of, of the atoning work that God was going to do for his people. He was going to cleanse them of all of their sin. So there's nothing left of the animal. There's no life left of the animal to show that God was going to deal with every part of their sinfulness. And then there's the peace offering. The animal was placed on the altar, but this one was roasted. And then the priests would eat it. And this meal was a sign of the peace that God had with his people. It was a sign of the community that they were able to enjoy with God. Like you don't sit down for a meal with someone who's your enemy, right? God was showing them in the peace offering that through that sacrifice, they were made right with him in that moment. But before either animal is placed on the altar, you get this gruesome kind of part of the the ritual where the blood of the animal is drained. And they drain the blood of the animal and they collect it in two bowls. And this blood was used to, to sprinkle. Half the blood we see is sprinkled on the altar. And whenever we kind of read the altar, kind of try and see that that is symbolic of God, God's presence. So half of the blood was sprinkled on what was to, to symbolize God. And then the other half was sprinkled on the people. So some of you, Ryan, you're within spitting distance sometimes. A little bit of my spit falls into the front row here. Guys, we, we get off easy. These guys had blood all over them. Like, imagine that. The blood of an animal splattered all over them. Why? When these covenants were made, this here, the, the sprinkling of blood, it was a symbolic reminder of what would happen to either party if they broke the covenant. Covenant keeping meant life, it meant peace, it meant flourishing, it meant joy. Covenant breaking meant the relationship with God was broken and it meant death. The blood that was sprinkled on them reminded them of God's right judgment if they failed to keep the law, which is exactly what they did. And it's exactly what we do every day. Which is why we need the next truth so desperately. Which is this. The promise of his presence is sealed in his blood. See the promise that was made in chapter 24. This covenant was a bond of blood. And note down in verse 8 what Moses says. He says, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. This was his initiative. God initiated this promise. He initiated this covenant. It was his initiative. And yet we fail. But the promise to enter his presence is his promise. And it's a promise that he cannot, he will not, and he has not broken. God's commitment to bring his people into his presence so that we can enjoy all the goodness of of him and all the goodness of of what we find in his presence. He cannot renege on that promise. See, the Old Testament is full of blood. Right from here onwards, in fact, we see in the first few chapters of Genesis, don't we? But certainly from Exodus forward, we see blood appearing constantly. This thread keeps on coming up again and again. The Old Testament is full of blood and deliberately so. Blood is the most precious commodity on the earth. 
The blood of God's son, Jesus, is the most precious commodity in the universe. And all of the talk of blood in the Old Testament is pointing us towards him. It's prompting God's people. It's preparing God's people for the coming of Jesus, whose blood was shed on the cross for them and for us. So you see this thread of blood through the Old Testament, but you also see it through the New Testament. Jesus' work on the cross and his work in his life, resurrection is constantly talked of in terms of blood. So here's a few examples. Romans 3 verse 25. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, that's Jesus, to be received by faith. Romans 5 verse 9, again talking of Jesus, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Ephesians 1 verse 7, again talking about Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2 verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's try again on this last one, see if we can get it. Revelation 1, verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his Amen, brother. Blood is the thread that flows through the Old Testament and flows through the New Testament. Through the Old Testament that is pointing us towards the blood that saves us. And in the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, we see how. Folks, anyone who has a guilty conscience, which every sinner does, can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus provides the ultimate sacrifice that we need to receive forgiveness and have peace with God. And just like Moses sheds the blood of the ox on the altar, so Jesus' blood was shed on the cross for us. And at that cross, payment is made for our sins. And we are forgiven. Not with the blood of an animal, but through the blood of the truest human, Jesus The blood shed on the altar that we read of in Exodus 24 here points us towards Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross. A blood that we've just read brings about our propitiation. A blood that brings about our justification. A blood that brings about our redemption. A blood that brings about our forgiveness. A blood that brings about the riches of God's grace towards us. A blood that brings us who are once far off near a blood that reconciled us to God, a blood that brought us peace with God and a blood that frees us from our sins and allows us to see in all of its glory the love of God towards us. The blood shed on the altar points us towards Jesus' blood shed on the cross. What about the sprinkling of blood on God's people? What is the equivalent for us? Well, the outward symbol of us belonging to God and being united to him is our baptism. Baptism declares our belonging to God's covenant community. We are saved through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us and we are joined to God. We are able to fellowship with him, pictured in the water that we are covered with in our baptism. 
So what's the application for us? How do we take Exodus 24 and apply that to our lives this week? Well, firstly, we need to know that there is no other way to enter the promise of God's presence than through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. No other way. There is no other way for us to be presented in the presence of God, yet covered in the blood of his son. And if we're looking for another way, well, you're going to reach a dead end. There isn't another way. The only way for salvation is if we find ourselves in Christ. The only way for us to be brought into the promise of God's presence is for us to be covered in the blood. No other way will get us there. And so we need to confess that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour. Put our faith in him. If you are covered in the blood of Jesus, then you can have confidence to come to God. Knowing that he has forgiven you, knowing that he holds nothing against you, knowing that he is for you and knowing that he loves you. We have confidence to come into the presence of God and to ask for whatever we need and to enjoy all of the goodness of his presence. We need to know that and live in light of that this week. We are not far off. The shed blood of Jesus Christ brings us near and brings us in. It gives us confidence as God's people. And that confidence should lead us to a beautiful but perhaps unexpected application as we close. In Hebrews chapter 10. I'll throw it up there. You might not be able to read that, but if you want to follow on, you can. Hebrews chapter 10. The writer is looking back to this episode in Exodus chapter 24. Looking back to the sacrifice that was made, the sprinkling of the altar, the sprinkling of God's people. Looking back and seeing, okay, what is the implications for us as God's covenant people this side of the cross? How does the sprinkling of Jesus' blood over God's people, how does that move us? How does it shape us? What does it call us to? Well, let's read it and see. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So there we have it. The the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross gives God's people confidence. We're now able to come in. We're now covered in his blood so we can enter into the presence of God. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see the, the, the blood and, and picture of baptism there. So firstly, we see that we can leave this place this afternoon with hearts full of faith because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, because his blood covers us, that strengthens our faith, that assures our faith. But then listen to what he goes on to say. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And here we go. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Interesting. Interesting how the writer of the Hebrews moves us from the sprinkling of Christ's blood over his people to that as the application. The implication and the application of Jesus' shed blood for his people here is this. Love each other. Move towards each other. Don't neglect meeting together. Come alongside each other and 
Put an arm over each other's shoulder this week. Encourage each other. Point each other towards Jesus. Pray for each other. The confidence that we have in the blood of Jesus shed for us should lead us to love one another. To spare each other on. To encourage each other. Why? Because the precious, most precious commodity in the universe has been spent for us. No greater love has been shown to us. And so the love that God has shown to us, which now fills us by the presence of his spirit, is the love that we now show to one another. So there is an application in light of the finished work of the cross to worship Jesus, yes. But it reaches much further than that. It reaches into how we engage with one another. Would that be the motivation that as we leave later on after sharing this meal and worshipping together? The motivation to pursue each other this week. Not to neglect each other. Not to wait until Wednesday or wait until Sunday to ask someone how they're doing or encourage them. But actually, persistently, intentionally through the week. Because of all that Christ has done for us. Because we are sprinkled in his blood. To encourage each other. To stir one another up towards love and good works. All the more as we see the day drawing near. Folks, we do not belong in the presence of God. We should be at a distance, shouldn't we? Because of his holiness, because of his awesomeness, because of his greatness. God in his love and his mercy has made a way. This promise of being being drawn into his presence, he has made a way for us to come in. And he has made a way through his blood shed for us on the cross. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to come back to just a couple of verses in chapter 24. So if you've got it open, don't close it. We're going to read a couple more verses and then share this meal together. Let's pray.